Okay, let's switch to weather in the U.S., and I'll start by throwing out the caveat that John always tells us, that is, there's a long time between now and then, okay? It's a long time. (laughs) We haven't even gotten in the ground yet, you know, we're already worried about the weather and what kind of impact it's going to have, but we have to face the fact it's still dry out west, and USDA came out this past week, and they said, look, uh, the soil moisture content here in the eastern Corn Belt is 47% surplus. That explains the standing water in a lot of areas. And like I was saying this week is every day that goes by that we get more rain, it just extends that planting date out even more. And John, you know, as soon as that comes out, you know, the first thing that happens is the people start down that road again about acreage. And they say, oh, well, you know, late planting of corn, all those acres are going to turn into soybeans. Pretty premature, I think. At this point, yes, it's ridiculous to even talk about that at this point, to be honest. Uh, we've got a long ways to go yet. It looks like we're going to get a little bit of a later start than, we, than we'd like to see. But with the equipment that producers have today, they can catch up in a hurry. So, yeah, it's it's very premature to talk about anything. However, it is true that if we stay cold and, and wet and our corn crop gets delayed a significant amount, you're going to pick up more soybean acres. I mean, that's kind of a given. At the moment, though, I think we're going to pick up more corn acres. I think one to two million more than what the last uh, prospective plantings was, which is fairly typical to see that happen. That only happened this year with these prices if the weather cooperates. But there's another piece of the puzzle, John. Number one, 30% of the corn, this was as of Thursday when they came out with the drought map, 30% 30% of the corn is in drought, and 21% of the soybeans are in drought at the current time. But what I want to talk about is North Dakota, because if you watch any articles at all, news videos from North Dakota, they had drifts that were five and six feet deep. They had a huge blizzard, three days worth of blizzard up there with blowing over 30 miles an hour each day. It's blown snow all over the place. And a lot, a lot of the guys I see on Twitter from North Dakota and South Dakota are both saying, hey, we want to plant our spring wheat right now. And normally, we want to do it by the first week in April. We're not going to get it planted until the end of the month. And, you know, the problem for them is that if they plant it any later than the end of the month, they pretty well have to write it off mm. for the fact that they can't plant it and grow it because they have to use, get a load of this, round up glyphosate to burn it down so they can harvest yeah. it before the freeze comes. But that's what I have my eye on right now is the big problem area. Yes, we are very, very wet. These storms keep coming across the U.S. and there's no end in sight for the short term, sorry to say. And I kept worrying before when they said it was going to be a cool and wet spring. I went, uh-oh, I can handle cold, but not wet. And then I'll talk about a hot and dry summer. I hope that doesn't prove true. But the latest maps show we're not going to be hot and dry as much as the Western Corn Belt and Illinois, Indiana and Ohio, for the most part, look to be not so hot and dry. So maybe we'll get a break here. Did I hear this guy right? You're focusing now about a concern about what's going on in North Dakota? Yeah, spring wheat, yes. You know, spring wheat is is almost, it's not even like regular wheat. It can't be substituted for the other wheat. So it's really not that big of a market factor. No. Unless you happen to, to need or use spring wheat, it's a small segment of the whole thing. We're more concerned about corn, soybeans, and how that affects us. And you're worried about North Dakota spring wheat. Well, look what it's caused already when they had the bad crop last year. People scrambling. Oh, all yeah, the that, was, uh, that had a big impact, right. Yes, it did. Why do you think the wheat's as high as price is what it is, especially when you look because at the Minneapolis of, Because wheat. of North Dakota? I don't think so. It was a piece of the puzzle, as I said. Thank you, John. I defer <laughs> to you. <laughs>
Export sales this week, a lot of conversation about what's going on with China. And China came out and bought that million tons last week. It was almost split evenly between old crop and new crop, but uh, pretty impressive, John. And, uh, you know, you've been talking about this for a while about China. You know, one of the other things about that is, is China's corn crop has had some real difficulties. So that would probably bode well for continued purchases of U.S. corn. Absolutely. Remember, we had that rumor. We didn't. We only got a confirmation of a million tons, but there's rumor of two million tons. And I think that uh, from what we're seeing in the export sales this week for old and new crop corn, that that two million ton number has pretty much been verified. And by the way, that will be the largest sale of corn to China since May of 21, almost yes. uh, a year ago. So yes. that's very significant. And Rob, they're the second largest producer in the world, but they use it all. They're a net importer, as we well know. So that's very significant an eye on that one. So, David, one of the other things that came out this week that everybody got all excited about was the EPA action to allow year-round E15, possibly adding nearly 25 million bushels of demand to old crop corn for ethanol, but uh, lower gasoline use due to high prices might pretty much nix that. Yeah, and it has a big effect in the short run because it's a feel-good for Washington to increase your use of alcohol, and that may feel good because you're using less gasoline. But yeah, you go from E10 to E15, but your mileage may drop as much as 4% because of the higher alcohol content, ethanol content. So that's not the big trade-off because you have to burn more fuel to get the same miles as you would normally. So that's said last week. I don't think it's any big deal. That's a good point. That's exactly where I think after everybody analyzed that, they realized that to David's point, it was just a bunch of political optics. David, one of the things also talked about this week was maybe an increase, kind of in the same conversation with an increase in demand from China, but also a little bit dropped in there I saw this week, maybe Maybe some conversation about higher feed demand, wondering if maybe the talk about export demand to China, the higher feed demand, maybe that was what was behind the new contract highs for July and December. But let's merge into livestock conversation here. How are we going to get higher feed demand when we just had the 27 million birds die from the bird flu? Yeah, no kidding. This really gets large because Allendale had this on the report this week. They were saying as of April the 7th. Now, remember, that's a week ago, but there were six hundred confirmed cases in wild birds of the bird flu in 31 states. Okay, now let's start with that. There were 158 facilities affected by the bird flu in 25 states. Hey, we still got six more states that can get this bird flu situation. And yes, I, I want to keep a very close eye on this, but a lot of people at Allendale also was alleging that this could be worse than 2015, 2016. And like oh. everybody said, what are we going to do about eggs for Easter? Well, thank goodness at this point, there's plenty of eggs. There's no shortfall. Do all the eggs you want on colored eggs. But the point is going forward, these egg prices have headed up really, really high. And I still see some higher prices for eggs to come as long as this bird few continue. Remember, we're going to get a lot of migrating birds coming from the south here. Yeah. We have them coming through from now on till the beginning of summer. And so that's going to probably bring more bird flu up to us. So what about uh, hams here for Easter, the old Easter ham? Has that affected the pork market at all? No, it hasn't as much as I thought it would. Beef's doing very well, especially with the barbecue season starting out. Easter hams really haven't perked up that much. I'm really disappointed with that. And the cash hogs haven't met my expectations either. But here at the end of the week, the cattle market got really exciting because hmm. we saw some packer interest for once. The dress price for cattle was really high. It was up $6. We were up 2 to $3 on the live market. So 
I was very, very impressed with that at this point. And going forward, uh, weekly export sales, again, not very great. They tend to be up and down quite a bit. Beef was only 17.3 and pork was 24 even. No really big numbers there. But China, again, was a buyer of 4,000 tons of pork. And they also bought 1.5 thousand tons of beef. So they tend to be consistent in that category. Yeah, well, you know, one of the other things about that export sales report was is that Mexico hanging in there. You know, they're buying corn. They're buying all kinds of stuff from us. So, you know, everybody wants to talk about China, but Mexico's been a real good buyer of our stuff. All right, John Cavanaugh, the man that <laughs> always gets the last word. What did we forget today, John? <laughs> well, uh, I would like to point out something. It's called a word of caution because we're in a huge bull market. You know, one of the uh, one of the biggest bull markets that we've ever seen and the potential to, to beat the biggest bull market we've ever seen. But a word of caution. Argentine corn for May-June uh, shipment is currently offered at $1.25 a bushel below U.S. corn. And June-July Brazilian corn is offered at 30 cents to 50 cents a bushel below U.S. prices. That's for June-July shipment. So in other words, it's very clear the South American corn, May through September, is well below U.S. prices. If that continues, if, if South American corn remains cheap, and the U.S. gets off to a very good planting season and we add acres and the crop goes in well, hey, uh, that's telling us very clearly that $8 corn is just too high. Well, and that pretty much negates this whole conversation about being really tight at the end of the year. Well, that's the other side. I will admit that uh, the numbers still point to having very tight supplies at the end of the year that will carry over to next year, even with good crops. Nevertheless, when I take a look at the situation coming up this summer, it, it's very difficult to sit there and be bullish corn above $8 until something else goes wrong. And when weather is a part of the equation, it usually does. The Weekly Visit with Coley and Kavanaugh brought to you by the Allen County Farm Bureau. Let's take a brief survey here. How many of you trust that the current collection of politicians in D.C. understand the issues of farm families here in the heartland? <laughs> you got it. And as they get into negotiating a new farm bill, you got to know that it's important that they understand how their changes affect family farms at the grassroots level. Now, regardless of what the issue is, whether it's broadband taxes or the carbon credit conversation, we can be assured that the voice of the Farm Bureau is there to pitch the case for family farms. And supporting that effort starts with a membership to your local county Farm Bureau. Consider a membership. Go online to itpaystobeamember.org. Podcasts by Federated Media.